collectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. So below, feel the pain in my soul, the red pill dissolved. Organized, no matter the cost. Politicians starts wars, they don't fight, they send the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light, light warriors. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, well, actually, it's the morning on Eastern time. Um, my name is Jamar Jabari again, and I want to thank everybody for the support and the love that has been going on about this podcast. And I will have another great, awesome guest um, who used to be a part of TED Talk in uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, they are also an ed- editor, and they they run, they edit for a uh, platform called Miss, uh, Miss Muslim for Muslim Women. Mm-hmm. Um, um, this is a great uh, interview and I hope you guys definitely enjoy this. So if you could just introduce yourself, Jenna. Um, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, hi everyone, my name is Janine Matari. Janine, um, I said Janine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, uh, no worries. I always give some. I, I give people like the first try to see where they're at with it, and then uh, sometimes I have to correct it, but it's no worries. <laughs> Um, so like tomorrow was saying, um, I founded a website for Muslim and minority women called Miss Muslim. Um, I also founded a, a PR agency called Zaytun Publicity, which is focused on representing indigenous and minority brands and founders and artists. Um, so we got some cool stuff going on. That's, that's, that's freaking awesome. Um, Thank you. especially on the standpoint of, of me discovering my path of, understanding that I am also indigenous with, on my grandmother's side and we're like related to like four different tribes I'm starting to learn about That's and awesome. the reputation is so important and I'm so happy that you're doing stuff like this especially um, being Palestinian and you're also Brazilian as well too right I am yeah I got a little bit of Brazilian in there yes that's you know just it's just awesome like biracial is something that a lot of people have struggled with our biracial mm-hmm. and it's great to see a lot of leaders that can give a strong example of how to just coexist within you and stuff like that um how did you how did you like what, what let's let's take it back to the beginning um how did you um knew this was a path what inspired you to 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 be a part of this path and telling these people stories and standing solidarity um I think it was my own experience growing up as, um, you know, an Arab, Latina, Muslim woman in like a very white suburb of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really understand that. I, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, the common story of, um, you know, Muslim Americans, like you don't understand that you're different. And then all of a sudden um, things started to change like post 9-11 and I was still a very young child, but I have very distinct memories of, um, you know, certain things that my classmates would say um, or just the difference in how I felt like I had, I, I always knew that I didn't fit in fully before 9-11 and then post 9-11, it was just kind of like, okay, there are some glaring differences that are popping up and um, I'm starting to feel really different and kind of otherized by my classmates. 
Right. So, um, and that, you know, as, as coming from somebody who didn't fully understand either identity that I held, um, I think the older I got, the more those differences kind of stuck out like a sore thumb and the more out of place I felt. Um, so I, I spent a number of years in my, you know, late teens, early 20s, um, just trying to figure out who I was and yeah. how to, you know, fit into American society while also, um, you know, respecting the cultures that I come from and respecting my faith and um, and understanding that I can, I can embrace both sides. Um, it's just a matter of like what works for you. And so once I finally learned how to appreciate being Arab, appreciate being Latina, um, you know, I found my way back to Islam after kind of dis- distancing myself for a couple of years. Um, I realized that as I started sharing my story, you know, it started off in little circles. So I would share my story and I would get, you know, feedback from people and they would be very engaged in the conversation. And um, they basically told me that I wasn't alone, that they had gone through similar things. I had launched Miss Muslim and um, it took off like wildfire. I was not prepared for awesome. like, the success that we saw. Yeah. And um, it just really proved to me that there was a really big uh, need for people to speak out about this subject. Um, and you don't have to be, you know, I'm again, Arab, Latina, Muslim identity. You don't have to be of those backgrounds to feel like you've been otherized. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I got so much feedback from people in, in other communities that really, um, you know, they said my message resonated with them and they, they felt the struggles that I had gone through. And it was nice to hear that, you know, somebody had made it out the other side. Um, and so that just kind of gave me the encouragement that I needed to keep going and, and to make this like my little niche. Have you seen within your story of telling your story, um, have you seen so much mindsets being changed? Because I know when you talk about what happened in the stigma on 9-11 mm-hmm. um, and me, myself, I got into activism just being encouraged, being inspired about the Muslim movement, especially under Malcolm X's teachings. Um, I, I've, I, as a young kid, I didn't really notice because, you know, I was a babe um, when 9-11 happened. I was in mm-hmm. third grade. Um, I'm, I'm, you're close to my age, right? You're like 20. Yeah, I'm like two years older than you. I was in fifth Right, right. <laughs> so just seeing just seeing that and seeing just the Islamophobia that rose to the great height in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, how was, did you, do you have any like stories of people who mindsets you change just off knowing you and knowing the work that you do and what you stand for? Yeah. I mean, I've connected with some amazing people over the last, I think I've been doing this for about six, six or seven years now. Um, Mm. And I, uh, you know, after my Ted talk, uh, people were coming up to me of all different backgrounds and talking about how they, you know, I, I made a joke in my talk about how, the first thing that people say to me when they find out that I'm Muslim is because it's very surprising, apparently that, that a Muslim woman looks like me um, is, wow. you know, they'll, they'll say, I tell me everything, you know, about ISIS. And I'm like, I, I put hell? this big picture up on the screen behind me. And it was like, ISIS does not equal Islam. And I was like, this is everything I know about ISIS. And so, <laughs> That's awesome. yeah. And so, you know, the, the crowd was laughing, um, which was great. <laughs> but right. um, afterwards, you know, I just had people that, came up to me and they, they, I think they understood how, um, how much the Muslim community is impacted by the negative stereotypes that are portrayed in media and the, the right. types of stories that you're hearing about Muslims in the media or people who claim to be Muslim in the media. 
Mm-hmm. Um, where, mm-hmm. you know, they said that there were parts, while they might not have been able to resonate with the part about being Muslim in America, there were other things in my talk that got them to listen and to engage and to connect with that when it came time to talking about being Muslim, they were more open-minded and they they understood finally, like, how our community has been impacted and how, like, you know, little questions that might be a joke in somebody's mind just can kind of like trigger somebody or they, um, it, it makes us uncomfortable. You're on putting this, ne- you're putting this unnecessary pressure um, and expectation on people who are not white Christians to explain everything that there is to know about something that they most likely don't know about. Like, right. you know what right. I mean? Like, I'm, I'm just a normal person. I don't like, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, sure. I don't want to go into, you know, the wars and massacres that are happening in the Middle East. Yeah, because don't I'm have to <laughs> yeah. like I would go to, you know, Christmas parties of, um, you know, friends at the time. And like every year there would just be a convert, like people were like lining up to talk politics with me. And I'm like, I'm not a politician. I'm not educated in politics. Like I have yes. a politicized identity. But it doesn't yeah. mean that every single time I'm out in public, this is what I right. want to talk about. So right. um, I think that kind of, you know, these these writings that I put out and the speeches that I give, it, it helps people understand that, like, they really need to start seeing the BIPOC community as just normal human beings. The expectations for us to educate people. Yeah, right. The expectations that we are to educate people um or you know spend every waking moment like trying to normalize our existence is just inappropriate and right so, yeah and, and and it's all and it's not on us to always try to educate people it's no our, absolutely not our birthright to do yeah so. <laughs> yeah and, and it's honestly i mean and and even within you know bipoc communities we have issues of expecting to be educated by each other so like i I fully acknowledge that like racism exists in non-black communities of color and it's Mm -hmm. not on black people to be educating our communities how to be anti-racist right or to tackle racism so it's something that we like there are layers to every community so it's like fighting white supremacy as a brown woman and then also fighting anti-blackness as a brown woman (laughs) and understanding that like somebody fighting Islamophobia in their community, it's not on me, right? They, they take that burden off of me. And so in return, I take that burden off of my black sisters and brothers and educate my community on how to be anti-racist. Um, right. And so like, we're all, we're all in this together. We all have to understand that like, just because, you know, I'm a person of color doesn't mean that I'm exempt from um, having racist thoughts or racist, you know, biases, and um, just understanding that we all have a part to play in this and, and not putting that burden on the communities that are being marginalized. Right. And I love exactly. I, I, I just got to say, just so, to, 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 to piggyback on the racism yeah. talk um, briefly, um, I love how you mentioned um, the, the culture of anti-Blackness because it's, it's a very big, big thing within um, the American society as well, mm-hmm. too, especially with immigrants. Um mm-hmm. They, the immigrant families, which I understand, they have the the, they have these uh, displays of anti-blackness. They have this idea that they have to be the perfect immigrant. Um, They have to they they have to abide by the rules and stuff like that. And sometimes it comes off as 
um, be, be, being more anti-black and more violent without noticing that you are being this way. Um, the colorism is definitely um, real um, within the society. And it's a big, huge conversation to talk about, especially me being someone who is a part, who is an activist slash musician that have seen it and addressed it and has lost a few friends just because of that. But it's, hey, it's whatever. Fuck y'all. And anyway. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it, it, it's funny. It's like the more um, comfortable you become in your own skin and in your identity, it really makes people uncomfortable. And so, right. um, I mean, I, I'm sorry that, you know, you've been through that. I've lost friends too, and it sucks. I mean, well, I can only imagine um, what what you are dealing with, you know, they, there's so much about there's so much about Brazil and Palestine as being like so many different colors, so many so diverse. There's Black Palestinians. There's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a, it's very beautiful of how those two countries are formed and stuff. And then you know, the colonialism is another aspect, but it's just understanding that we all have these struggles, and in order for us to get through, we have to like come together we can't say that we're not different and and we have to acknowledge our our uh our similarities as much as we acknowledge our differences um okay (laughs) um yeah i i I really appreciate talking with you Do, do um do you have uh do you have like a so with miss muslim um do you have uh Get out of here, Cleo. My cat is bothering me. Do you have a um a, a great story to share? Uh just to give people like ideas of like what content of like what stories are going on there. Um I for instance, have you heard of Life in My Days? No, I don't think so. Um it's a it's a nonprofit that I work for that started okay by Palestinian refugees. Oh, we awesome. have a um, website, lifemydays.com, where mm-hmm. we have people blog and write stories about their experiences, about trauma, all types of things, you know, um, being homeless, all, mm-hmm. all types of experiences. Um, do you have like a story that comes to mind whenever you talk about your column? Um, yeah, I mean, I... I'm the first to admit that I like personally, I grew up very privileged and I am trying to use that privilege to bring yeah. um, story, stories of others to, you know, the forefront. Um, mm-hmm. I share, like when I share my family's, of course my family has been through hell and back to mm-hmm. get me to a place where I was raised with this privilege. Um, and so I, you know, I honor their stories and I honor their struggle um, through my writing. Um, and the stories that do well, the ones that are most well received are, um, the stories of, you know, my grandparents and what it took for them to get here to the States. Um, Mm. and you know, both of my families originated in my mother's side and my father's side originated in Palestine. Um, Mm. my mother's father is a original 1948 refugee. Um, and so um, people, they, they tend to gravitate towards those personal stories of, um, you know, what it took to, to get here and to, to become American. Um, yeah. But, you know, my personal experience, again, like I grew up in a very well-to-do town. Um, my parents worked super, super hard to make sure that we didn't have to struggle the way 
um, that that they did, whether it was financially or um, you know fitting in. Like we very much grew up believing that we were white because it was a, a way to survive. And um, if you could blend in, you took advantage of it and you just kind of flew under the radar. So, yep. yeah. Interesting. I love you. You basically, when you talk, you give a very distinction of like what the climate really is and what the mindset really is. Um, whiteness, whiteness is a very big thing um, within American society mm -hmm. to, to just to, to, to want to be white is a very important part, um, which people have, um, how do I put this, which people have like tried to make it seem like it's not true. But I remember when I was young, I wanted, I wanted to go to a white school. I wanted to live in a white society mm -hmm. and in a suburban society. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't appreciate grow, going to the school um, that was predominantly black and Latino. Mm -hmm. um, I, I watched all this TV and news and stuff, and I wanted to mirror the American lifestyle that they were mirroring. And it made me want to hate myself. The self-hate was brutal. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it, did, it took a long time to after I left high school mm -hmm. for me to start loving myself more and me to start understanding more. And I, those are, I think those are very, very common stories within black, within um, people of color um, that grow up here in the States. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it seems like everybody is kind of on the same timeline, right? Like we all kind of struggled through middle school and high school and it mm -hmm. wasn't until post-graduation. And when you kind of got to broaden your reach and the, you know, you're meeting all these different types of people. Um, and, the, you know, I went to a very diverse school. I graduated from Rutgers. Um, I worked Ooh, in Manhattan. Rutgers. Yeah. Are you an <laughs> alumni also? No, but I'm a fan of the. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was a very diverse school, um, significantly more Arab Muslim population than from where I grew up. Um, and then, you know, I worked in Manhattan for 11 years and it's one of the most diverse cities in the world. So, um, mm. like meeting people of other backgrounds who learned how to embrace themselves and appreciate their, um, you know, their other cultures while also like understanding that there's a place for them in American society, uh, really just helps me along my journey. Mm. And there's such a duality in that. Um, for listeners that are struggling with what we're talking about right now, there's such a duality and peace in that, mm -hmm. that, that helps you out so much. Like you're no longer pulling hairs or trying to like adjust your tone as much mm -hmm. as whatever crowd you're in. Like, Oh, I have to use this voice or, Oh, I have to use yeah, this thing. <laughs> I was talking to my dad about it the other day. Like, you, when you are biracial or, or you grow up in a community where you know you don't fit in, there's in linguistics, there's something called code switching where you literally change everything about how you speak, what you're saying, and how you present yourself to fit into it. And it's all, it all ties back to survival. It all ties back mm -hmm. to wanting to make sure that, you know, your body is making sure that it's safe. Your mind is making sure that you're in a safe surrounding. Mm -hmm. um, and like, kind of just making sure that you, like we were saying before, like fly under the radar so that you don't throw somebody off or make somebody uncomfortable because you're just a little bit different than they are. Right, right, exactly. And what? how old were you when you started realizing, um, when, when you started accepting who you were and 
Um, I think I was 23. Oh, around the same age as I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of people have like a life changing moment um, around that age. But right. yeah, anyway, trip to like the other side of the world. Um, nice. I mean, my husband's very aware of the story. Like, met somebody um, and it was like the first Arab Muslim guy that I had met. And I was like, Oh, he's modern. Just like me. It's just super cool. And then after a couple of months, it was like, uh, I was being told by, you know, him and his family, like, you're not Muslim enough. You're not Arab enough. You don't speak Arabic. How could you ever raise children that would appreciate Aww. where they come from? And so I had a moment where I was like, okay, this is everything I feel about myself and I'm allowed to feel that way. But you're absolutely not allowed to feel it. Like nobody gets to tell me that I'm not Arab enough or Muslim right. enough or, you know, good enough. Right. Um, and so I think that's what really kind of like lit a fire under my ass and was like, you got to get going and like learn how to appreciate where you come from and you need to embrace your culture more. And, you know, it's not embarrassing to be Arab. It's not, you know, it's, mm -hmm. if anything, I feel like people of color have been given this wonderful gift. Like it's something interesting that we're just innately born with. And right, right. kind of um, shy away from it was just doing a disservice to you as who you are as a person and also to your ancestors who have struggled to bring you to where you are today. Right, so, right. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, I, I, I have been told earlier on that I was like not black, not pro-black or anything. And if I had a white partner, they're like, oh, you're definitely not black because you're dating a white person. Like, what, what is... I yes. definitely <laughs> can tell so many stories and stuff, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your, oh. your accent, it doesn't matter where you're from. Um, it's you are a part of that community. You will always be a part of that community. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the gatekeeping is just so weird to me because when for certain people, I don't know about other, I don't want to speak on other cultures, but I mm -hmm. do know that within black communities that, certain people they have a standard of what black is and they start to automatically do what white people have done with basically just like be like the white the the racist white male within mm -hmm. the black community saying well you're gay that's not black um black women need to be in servitude to black men mm -hmm. or they have these standards that accumulate and this is not everyone this is just like certain people you start to notice that mm -hmm. that tells you that you're not a part of a culture because of the way they perceive what blackness is or the way they perceive what uh muslim is like for mm -hmm. instance um the back to the back to the uh refugee the palestinian refugees that i used to that, that, I, that I worked for um well the board's changed now it's queer led um we're all either queer or trans um but the original member i met was muslim palestinian and also also trans um they they are non-binary mm -hmm. and they had to deal with a lot of flack just for being non-binary so yeah um they, they, i i i noticed that you start seeing that people have a definition of what a culture is and it's not really that it's, it's no nuance. it's nuance yeah and if you like go back into like the ancestry of indigenous communities like this this whole concept of like you are a man or you are a woman you are this you are this you are that you have all these like that is that is, that does not exist in indigenous right. culture 
Um, right. That was like a colonialist, many times white supremacist, like ideology has seeped into our communities. Um, and so a lot of times, like when you talk about gatekeepers, like they're not, it's not something that is um, original or like organic to our communities. It's, this is just proof that like colonialism has come in and totally like warped our idea of what it means to exist, what you have to be like in order to exist safely and freely. And um, like, I, that's a, like, for me, it's really important to always recognize that like that doesn't come from our communities, that that comes mm. from white supremacy, colonialism, um, and a bunch of other shit that other people brought into our communities, um, just kind of brainwashing people. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I like, I'll, again, you're you're straightforward. This is dope. <laughs> <laughs> you're not really sugarcoated. Some people sugarcoated. No, I don't. No, I'm like to do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's dope. Like, I respect that a lot because I'm, I'm kind of that way, too. And I feel like I offend people sometimes. And it feels good to to know that I, like there's other people that are also straightforward because that word colonize is a, a very uh, offensive term to people. A lot of people don't like that. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned to really use that one with confidence over the last uh, few months. And, uh, it's, oh, you're right. It pisses people off. But I, I joke around a lot and I talk about how like. Uh, the what I'm going through right now in terms of like embracing my Palestinian identity and talking about it out loud because there's mm-hmm. there's one thing to embrace it and then there's one thing to get rid of the fear of talking about it publicly because um, mm-hmm. there there is there has absolutely been a past of Palestinians you know losing uh, jobs and um, you know do you mind speaking on that a little bit uh, on on like the experience yeah. of just being out as a Palestinian within our our country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's it's obviously no secret that uh, this country is absolutely in support of uh, of Israel and uh, both, you know, publicly and um, monetarily. And um, by you know, when I first started sharing my family's history, um, my family had a really hard time with it because my parents grew up in a generation where um, it was dangerous to be Palestinian for your well-being and your success. Mm. Um, Palestinians have lost jobs when speaking out against Israel um, or just speaking about being Palestinian. Um, And, uh, you know, like we were talking about before, we've lost friends. Um, I mean, I, I personally um, feel like I, like a weight has been lifted off of my shoulders. Like after I, I, you know, I, I left the corporate world and um, I, I stopped working for other people because I always felt like every time I spoke about being Palestinian, even if it was just sharing my family's story, like we have just been trained to believe that anything related to Palestine equates to somebody being anti-Semitic or, you know, um, that they sympathize with terrorists, like a bunch of crazy stereotypes wow. and tied to the Palestinian identity. Yeah. And so I always felt like I kind of I don't know how to explain it. Almost like, like there's like a boot on your neck. And if you say the mm. wrong thing, or if you're too Palestinian, like they, that, you know, whether it's an employer or a school, like they're just waiting to shut down Palestinian activists. Um, mm. And so leaving this space of like, 
I need to make sure I get a paycheck that's steady <laughs> from other companies. And I can't like I, I, I didn't at the time have enough trust in myself to be able to say, OK, I'm going to become I'm really going to become an entrepreneur now. And I'm going to make sure yeah. that like I make my own money. Um, but like that whole journey has led me to becoming more confident in speaking about Palestine because I'm no longer afraid of like. I'm going to lose my job if I say the wrong thing or, mm. you know, if, what if my boss sees this on, on social media? Um, and so uh, like it, it sucks that that's where we have to be in order to feel comfortable. Cause I do know that there are incredible Palestinian activists who are just, there's no, you can't advocate for Palestine and have a job. And like, that's mm. not there, you know? Mm. Um, so do you see uh, a cultural yeah. change within now? Like, uh, do you see more support for Palestinians now than there was when we were growing up? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. I mean, for starters, people know where Palestine is now. Like, that was the thing right? I was growing up was like, I'd say I was Palestinian, and they'd be like, oh, you're Palestinian? <laughs> like, no. Like, it's a totally different region. Um, and, like, totally different, like, looking people. I don't... So, um, don't worry, it took them a while to learn that uh, Africa was a continent and not a country, not a country, (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's but that's the education system that we have here, right? That's what, like, we just we don't bother to teach people about anything that isn't American history or revised version of American history. Um, and so people just don't learn, and so, um like I'll, I'll never forget one of the first presentations that I had given. Sometimes I'll go to classrooms and teach kids about identity. Um, and so the first time I had ever gone to a classroom um, to speak to kids, I was like, um, you know, I'm Palestinian. Does anybody know where Palestine is on the map? And nobody knew what to say. Nobody never heard of it. And then I pulled up like the Google maps on the teacher's smart board. And I typed in like, Jerusalem, Palestine. And it was like, does not exist, came up. And I was like, oh my God, this oh could have been a more perfect introduction to my right. lesson. But um, but like we just, you know, we don't we don't bother to teach people um because it's it's more profitable for you know people in power for us to be uneducated or in the dark about where our money is going or um, you know, what we're a part of in other areas of the world. So um, I definitely think that times have changed. Uh, like I said, I, I felt so, I have felt so confident in the last few months um, speaking about Palestine. And I feel like people are, I know that they're coming specifically to my social media platforms to learn about it, mm-hmm. um, which is, has never happened before. So, um, and I, I also absolutely know that that is because of Palestinians everywhere, be they living in Palestine under occupation or under siege or in the diaspora, like understanding that we all have this role, like what we were talking about in the beginning, everybody has a role to play in Palestinian Mm -hmm. liberation. And just because, you know, I I used to think that just because I was not living in Palestine and experiencing this firsthand, that I didn't have a a true role um, in the, you know, Palestinian liberation movement. But I, like I've, I absolutely do. I have a skill. I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. Um, and I, I can share stories, um, both of my family's, you know, experience personally or other people's stories if they ask me to share them um, or help platform people. Um, and that changes the narrative 
overseas. And that changes the, you know, people's perspectives on Palestine and, and Palestinians as a, a tribe of people. Um, and so all of that together combined, um, it, it really has just like moved the needle forward. Um, and we're, we're absolutely seeing changes. The, the headlines that we're seeing are starting to change in the media. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Every time I see it, I'm just like, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's important to understand that we are all like, if you, we are all a part of this, we all have a part to play. Um, and so we cannot just leave it to, you know, people who are living under, like I said, occupation or siege, just, we cannot just throw it all on their shoulders and hope that they stay there and that yeah. they never take the rest of our land, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Look at so. like, for example, South Africa, that's mm-hmm. a big, big example of like how I see the changes coming now. Um, mm-hmm. They had to literally like put cameras on, on everything that was going on. And we had badasses like Woody Mandela out there doing it and stuff. And, you know, later on her own party betrayed her. But at the end of the day, it, it showed the, it took the, it took the bandaid off mm-hmm. the wound, you know, mm-hmm. um, mentorship. I, I have a lot of mentorship vibes with you. Are you mentoring oh. any young Muslim women? Are you, do you have anybody that you like guide that, that they to express this knowledge, so. to share this knowledge out? I mean, I like Miss Muslim was kind of my platform to mm-hmm. help women share their stories. Um, so at the time when that was running, I, um, you know, I, I helped train our editors. Um, I would help people with their writing style. I, um, I would help people just be more confident, but nothing has ever been like an official mentorship um, type of status. Mm-hmm. Um it's like I definitely still have a little bit of like imposter syndrome when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like, that's I'm what like, you know you're doing. Like, it, right. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, like I again, I, I because I just share my personal experience. I'm like, what can I offer somebody? Like I, I'm not mm-hmm. you know trained professionally in in these areas. Um, right. But but you know it's it's nice to recognize that like that you can be a mentor for somebody in in other aspects of life, um, but nothing official. Yeah, I can definitely sense of a mentorship vibe with you. you. Like you, you could definitely like, you can definitely do a lot of. If you were a mentor, I could see like uh, you could do a lot of work in that. Um, I appreciate but, that. Thank you. Well, I'll just just want to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, um, you were saying about like not feeling like you were as involved. It, like as has the right to be involved of the liberation music uh, movement. Is it because of Two que- just two questions on on this. Um, is it because of where you grew up at, or is it is it because um you felt is it, is it because where you grew up at, and also is it also because you felt that you wasn't as connected since you were here? Like so, it was it was there a connection part or origin part, and was that a part of the reason why you felt like you wasn't part of it or you shouldn't be a part of it? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. Um, My privilege is definitely something that I try not to feel guilty about. Um, But like I, as long as I am using it for the benefit of my community and to Mm -hmm. help others, um, I've learned to kind of like accept it rather than be Mm -hmm. embarrassed about it, I guess is the word. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I am so grateful for it. Like that's, I don't want anybody to misconstrue what I'm saying. Like I, right. I, I have like an overwhelming sense of gratitude that I have grown up the way that I did. Um, mm-hmm. So, but that also kind of makes me feel like maybe I don't have, maybe it's not my place to speak on certain issues or, you know, because my family survived what happened to them in 1948 and, and, you know, in later years um, and we came here that I don't have a right to speak about Palestine. Um, but I, um, and, and you know, like we were, what we were saying before, like I don't speak Arabic well. So I definitely feel like there are still parts of my identity that I need to kind of um, get in, you know, feel more confident about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm, I'm learning to like use all of this to my advantage. And, you know, like I said, use my privilege for good um, and understand that like, just because there are parts of, you know, being Palestinian that are missing, like not speaking the language or, you know, going back home frequently. Um, it doesn't mean that I, I'm any less, mm. um, you know, entitled to speak about my identity or to try and help my people. Mm. Have you ever heard of Charles Gambino? Of course. Awesome. You're, you kind of remind me of him. Um, oh, that's an honor. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a great positive reminding because he, you know, he grew up in a very privileged home, and, mm-hmm. um, and people have been trying to just tongue assassinate him, Twitter assassinate him when he came out with the "This Is America" song and started really becoming unapologetically black mm-hmm. um, within his content. Because they felt that since he was dating an Asian woman, he wasn't a part of it. And since he had was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, he wasn't a part of it. But what, no matter what backgrounds we come from, the fact that we bring attention to issues like this helps and benefits so much more. Mm-hmm. In, um, and we should be encouraging people of all backgrounds that share the same identities that we have to continue to speak out and not struck them down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I want to get that example for the audience so they could get a full understanding, like, you know, um, and I want to do it in a, in a non, um, I want to, I was thinking in my head, what good example can I bring up that, that won't bring a whole clusterfuck of yeah. a whole lot of damn <laughs> politics with involved. And I'm like, Charles Gambino, he's a very, yeah. he's a, he's, he's a very interesting, um, story within within that aspect and i think um we all need to because i i because he's a good inspiration for me because i'm in i'm in a uh, interracial relationship as well too so he definitely was somebody that helped me like learn more and looking at his life past um stuff like that because i always i would think sometimes i mean i have dated within my race countless times Mm -hmm. but you know they don't count those when they see you with somebody else (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the stuff that they can pack points off for. Yeah, right. They were like, "Oh no, that didn't happen anymore." Yeah. <laughs> so I need somebody as a great example. Um. Yeah. So that's that's actually that's really dope. Thank you. Um. Also, so for your column, are you do you have people that are under understaffed that write for you now? Um. Do you have a, or is it like a free blog where? any uh, Muslim woman can just go on and, and put in their thoughts and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, um, like I said, since launching Zaytun, that's um, kind of taken precedent over Miss mm-hmm. Muslim because um, that is all volunteer based. So we did have like a, a staff of 
at one point we had about 50 writers from all over the world that were um, wow. consistently writing for the site. Yeah, but now it's just a platform that's open to anyone. You don't have to be Muslim. Um, you don't have to be a woman. It's anybody who has, you know, thoughts that they want to share with the world that, you know, if there's an issue that they want to tackle, um, it's just a public platform, you know, for mm -hmm. them to be able to do that. Is there any other projects that you're working on as well too? Do you have like a, like any uh, things in the works that you are like really proud of doing and stuff in behind the scenes? <laughs> oh, thank you for asking. You're like the ultimate promo. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I try. <laughs> yeah, no, great. Um, I mean, I'm always just doing a bunch of random stuff like, I, and it all ties back to this, like, again, like this indigenous belief that we are obligated to make this world a better place for those right. who come after us. Um, so my, my big one, I, I will like, um, shout out the, the public relations agency that I founded because that is really, um, it's already making moves in the industry and I'm really proud of it. Um, and that is, I fully believe in the power of media and the way that, you know, you can persuade masses of people. Um, and if you, if you take a look at every, every great, but also every absolutely horrible thing that has happened in politics, it all ties back to public relations and, you know, um, world leaders pour millions and millions of dollars a year into PR campaigns. And so mm -hmm. to kind of get in there and level the playing field a little bit um, and, you know, give people of color who don't have this generational wealth or, you know, the, um, the identity that you need to like fundraise millions of dollars. If you catch my drift, don't worry about that. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, and just kind of understanding that like I, that term of like putting people over profit, you need to really believe in that if you, want to be somebody who makes a change in the industry. And so um, like, that's who I want to be for the, for the media industry. I, I'm putting, I've turned down campaigns that I would make um, a good chunk of change if I took them on because I don't believe in their brand or, mm. um, you know, I, I don't, I don't see their value or I don't see how it could change the industry landscape in the way that I am working towards. Um, and so I am really, really proud of everything that we're doing at the agency. That's really awesome. And if you could yeah. send me a link to that, I can definitely put that in the in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. I release this I right now. It's just uh, zaytunepublicity.com. Um, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. And I um, just want to talk about how you described that. You have said you said two things that are very that, that CNN and any Western huge column or media would definitely like probably take an issue with um, talking about how great and powerful social media is. Um, and also the second part is saying putting people over profit that would piss a capitalist off. Yeah. That's just, that's a trigger word to a capitalist. <laughs> yeah. And do you consider I, yourself capitalist or do you not consider yourself capitalist? Um, I think if you are profiting in American society, uh, just by nature, you are some sort of capitalist. Um, I mean, there's something, there's something I saw something on the internet the other day that was like super funny, but it was like, my grandfather did not cross, you know, three oceans and <laughs> survive a genocide for me to like give the finger to capitalism because at the end of the day, we all came here for it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, I think that for as, as much as I understand 
that capitalism is essentially the only way to be successful in this country. It's also fucked up a lot of stuff. So um, finding that balance of just keeping yourself in check, right? Like um, understanding that, yes, I I need to pay my bills and I need to survive and, but I'm not going to sell out or, you know, disrespect my morals or my values um, for money. So Yes. Um, that's a long okay. answer of saying, like, I'm not really sure what I call myself. But. That's okay. You know, I, 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 I've been calling myself a socialist since I met Marx and stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. hey, I, I love, I love that because it's so, it's so important to, to make sure that you are, you know, th- is there a soul in what you're doing? Do you yeah. Have, I, you mean, know what I mean, it's just that simple. It's like anything else. If your intentions are, are good, and you are, like I said, making a positive change for the world. Um, you do you. <laughs> mm. And the last thing uh, with network, with the network, with social media, um, mm-hmm. like how strong the presence is, has you have any pushback from either a Facebook or Twitter or has any um, somebody from CNN or the New York Times, have they ever wrote a smear piece about you? Have anybody reached out? negatively about what you're doing um in, in since you've been launching this and working on this yeah i mean all the time but part of my like i said part of the reason why i left um the workforce to start my mm. own um thing was because of the feedback that i was getting right right, um, right. and it you know it just i I've definitely been shadow banned. I know that that's a thing. People don't believe it's a thing, but it's absolutely. Oh, it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to go from like 800,000 views on a reel to like 3,000 out of nowhere. And it's like, I I noticed that it's whenever I post too many things about Palestine repetitively. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's definitely, it's absolutely a thing. Um, And I mean, I haven't had like, what they did to Bella Hadid and Dua Lipa in the New York Times. Yeah. <laughs> yet. I hope that never happens, but yeah. um, like definitely, definitely like in my DMs or, um, you know, the things that I hear from people, whether it be from my hometown or um, in the workplace, I definitely hear some not so nice things about the work that I'm doing. Um, so, well, Like they always say, good and bad publicity is always good. Yeah. Yeah, if anything, it fuels it fuels your fire, right? Like, right? Hear people. I mean, I, I literally had somebody once call me an a wannabe ISIS bride, and I was like, "What does that even mean?" Like, what? That person sounds crazy. Yeah. Jesus. Like, literally, all I've all I've talked about is like how I've struggled to be Muslim in this country because it's not accepting of my faith, and and right. like like that's what you took out of that. All right, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's crazy. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Now, Sorry. are you East Coast, West Coast? I'm East Coast, yeah. You're East Coast? Okay, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Um, oh, all right. So we're in the same time zone. That's dope. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So thank you so much for coming on. And I apologize for being late. Don't oh apologize, please. It happened. I can't believe I did that. It's okay. <laughs> I was honored to be on here. This was a really fun talk. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice to, like, have a conversation with somebody who's real and uh you know doesn't bullshit or beat around the bush and just wants to talk about the hard stuff so this was really awesome yes yes um this is this is something that 
I've been trying to work real hard on for this podcast, you know, because you get you get you get a whole lot of different individual people mm-hmm. on and stuff like that. And the, the most important part that I want to address, because I, I took some flack for having a COVID interview with a doctor that lost his license. And so he definitely wasn't as a okay. <laughs> he wasn't really on his stuff so far to say he had some good factual things then he also had some way wacky stuff so i took a lot of flack for that so i'm trying to be transparent with people look guys i hear y'all i'm I'm sorry about that like (laughs) but um i want to thank you so much because i always want to talk with i always want to center the voices of muslim palestinian especially people on every single season i do so we can always remember the dialogue has to keep going and I'm so glad that you uh, um, re- returned my message and was down to talk. Um, thank you so much. Um, uh, you are you're, you're dope, and I want you to keep doing everything that you're doing. Um, p- piss off more people if you want to. <laughs> Just do whatever the hell you got to do to get your message out. I thank support you. you. Um, I definitely would love to have you back on the show another time down the line Absolutely. and stuff. Um, Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Um, if you have any like last final words for for my audience that mm-hmm. uh, that you would like to share, definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you're you know you're a really awesome host, and and this is great. And um, I'm always here to support. So thank you for having me on the show. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is that when it comes to like pissing people off, um, people with inherent. Uh, superiority this feeling of superiority over others um they get pissed off when they see people of color really embracing their power and um you are seen as a threat so if anything take it as a compliment um to keep pushing forward and you know to keep learning about yourself and your your lineage and honoring your ancestors and doing what needs to be done to like i said before level the playing field and and uh uplift you know voices of color and doing good work for your community so keep pissing people off (laughs) thank you uh and it's janine janine matari janine matari yep awesome thank you so much janine and have a very good day (laughs) take care effectively transforming community peace in our human family unity divine light shining individually Collectively transforming community, peace in our human family. One love, one growth, as above, so below. Feel the pain in my soul, the red pill dissolved. Organized, no matter the cost. Politicians starts wars, they don't fight, they sit in the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light, light warriors.